Welcome, you're listening to A Certain Degree. What happens when you try to describe art on the radio? This show, apparently. Rachel Simmons, an artist here in Orlando and a professor at Rollins College, sat down for an interview with Nick, covering a wide range of topics. Get to know Rachel to a certain degree. This episode is brought to you by a certified bad business idea called Presume. Presume takes your resume and turns it into a series of glossy photos with you at the center of the action. It's like glamour shots, but more career-focused. The same number of feathered boas, though. Presume. Ooh la la. Schedule your shoot today at toacertaindegree.com. And good morning and welcome to a certain degree. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, the best in basement radio and the voice of Rollins College. Uh, that was Peter, Bjorn and John, uh, or at least an attempt at Peter, Bjorn and John. Uh, unfortunately, we had some uh, CD problems there, but that was Blue Period Picasso from their album Living Thing, which was a great song because it's sung and written from the perspective of the actual painting. Mm. which you don't often get in uh, music, is that perspective. True. And so uh, that ties right into my guest, professor of art here at Rollins College, an artist herself, and an all-around very, very nice person. So obviously she is because she's here so early in the morning. Rachel Simmons is here. Good morning, Rachel. Thanks for saying I'm a very nice person. Well, yeah, I I say that about uh, very few people that I have on the air. Let's get you right (laughs) up on that mic. Usually only invite really unpleasant people generally they make for the best radio so what i felt like today was having a really nice person who's an artist so because what's better on radio than art yeah it's a it's a direct connection between the two media (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly well rachel let's get to know you a little bit better we got a lot of stuff to talk about so i want to talk about uh the art that you do uh the background that you have um i got to talk to you a few weeks ago with julian about art and odd places and sort of your approach and thinking about the industry in general and then what Art and Odd Places is about because you're going to be co-curating it. Mm-hmm. We've got a deadline coming up for that, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll do some bad business ideas. We'll talk about music. Uh, you're going to get a pop quiz. So oh now gosh. the master has become the student, oh, I think is how it works. Uh, but it's going to be a pop culture quiz, so I'm sure you keep up on everything going on in the world. Somewhat. I try. Yeah. I yeah. try. Sometimes I, mean, you have I fail a, miserably. A social media account, don't you? Of some kind? I do. Yeah. I do. So there you go. So that, you do it. That means nothing. My so, mother has a social media account. So she knows everything that's going on. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom, but it's true. So word association game. Uh, let's play this with you. Your mom will know all the answers before you say yeah, them. Yeah, probably. But instead of word association, because obviously that can get a little bit dicey, and we do have a dump button, but uh, I don't want to have to use that this morning. <laughs> what you're going to say is one of two things. If you're for something, yeah, you're going to say apples. Okay. And if you're against something, you're going to say oranges. So today's game is apples or oranges. Okay. So, okay. And the reason for that is obviously apples are delicious. Yes. They keep the doctor away. Mm-hmm. They have wonderful names: Gala, Red Delicious, Macintosh, yeah. uh, Honey Crisp. Yeah, there's a new one coming out. There's a new one, Cosmic Crisp. Cosmic Did you hear about crisp, that? I love yeah. that. <laughs> there's like 10 million trees ready to bloom in about four years. I hope that investment pays off. I hope so too. It yeah. just sounds fun, though. I yeah. think I'm going to have uh, yeah, fun. It's the Ben or, Jerry's apple. Or they're going to become sentient and take over. <laughs> so either way, I think it's going to be good. Uh, oranges only have one flavor. 
and oh, that's not one name. True. <laughs> uh, they are named for the color that they are, which is super boring. <laughs> and uh, vitamin C is like the most passe of all the vitamins, if my understanding is correct. That's totally wrong. It, my understanding? <laughs> my understanding? Yes. All yes. right. I see how it is. So you're not that nice. I no. see. <laughs> see, gloves are off. Don't attack vitamin C. All right. Apples or oranges? Wonder Woman. Apples. Yeah. Did you yeah. see the movie yet? I did. I took my 14-year-old and her two 14-year-old friends. Yeah. And how and was it? They they loved it. Yeah. And how did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was a cool connection between Golden Age comics, uh, the heroic age, and what superheroes today look like. Good. It was a really well-written movie. All right. Good. Yeah, I'm looking forward awesome. to seeing that. Yeah. Apples or oranges voicemail? How do you feel about voicemail? Ooh, oranges. Yeah, not yeah, so much? No, none of that. Are you, uh, don't leave me a message, I'll just call you back? Or are you like, I prefer text? Text is always easier for me. Yeah. It pops up on my arm, you know, if you're lucky. I'll you have that embedded uh, yeah, LED thing I'm a on cyborg. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who leaves 20-minute voice messages, and she's kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> just, there's no need for that. Do you think she's listening right now? No. Definitely not. She's asleep. What we'll, what we'll do is uh, we'll we'll send this recording to her as a voicemail. <laughs> so we'll have an hour's oh, worth revenge. of show. Yeah, that'll be a good idea. Where do you stand on colonizing Mars? Apples. Yeah, you want to go? Or just, you just think we should colonize it? I just want to see a Matt Damon-like scenario play out there. So somebody starving to death eating potatoes? I want to see somebody make it. Just oh, okay. one person. Just, not the starving... Or growing potatoes with your own feces. I don't I don't really need to see that again. Okay. But the survival thing. The survival thing. I like that. All right. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, wh where do you land on summer camp? <laughs> when I had a five-year-old, it was the best ever. Yeah. But uh, I don't, I guess I don't think about it much now. Do you, did you go to summer camp when you were a kid? Like sleep away or anything like that? No. Your my parents loved parents you? could not afford any of that. Oh, I was going to say your parents loved you, but yeah. I, <laughs> I have older siblings. I have four brothers. And so they were sort of caretakers in the summer. Or uh, I do remember summers where I was left al home alone with my younger brother. And then we would sort of have this punching battle as we rolled down the staircase. Because sounds... it's always a good idea to leave two kids roughly the same age at home alone in the summer. So yeah. it's kind of Lord of the Flies scenario. Someone would come home and he would be like locked in the bathroom and trying I would, to get out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Nice. So that was your summer that camp. That was summer camp. That was the best summer camp ever. <laughs> there was a lot of Nintendo up till five in the morning. You still keep in touch with your little brother? I You're try still to. friends to this day? We, we try. We yeah. try. There's some hard <laughs> feelings there. So uh, I'm not sure what social media platforms you're on, but I wanted to get your take on Instagram because I feel like that's probably the one that's I like uh, Instagram. Touches on art and, you know, visualizes things a little bit more than say, I like Facebook. Instagram. I like Tumblr, too. I don't oh, yeah. have time to be on it very much myself. I mean, I might like post things on there, but um, I'm not a big consumer of social media because I'm busy doing mm -hmm. other things, I guess. But I do like um, Instagram because it's so visual. And although there's that whole trend of like taking mundane pictures of your meals and making them look interesting like I'm always like skipping that skip oh skip. you don't like the food related I, uh, stuff not so much. necessarily yeah. I mean I, I think it has um 
better things that it could do, Instagram. I think I've had a couple of people on who've talked about how, um, you know, my Instagram feed is great and all, but mm-hmm. don't use that to judge how wonderful or not wonderful my life is. Oh, yeah. Because, Social media envy is a terrible, terrible yeah. thing that's ruining our young people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, apples or oranges? Zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh, oranges. Not into zombies. No, either mm-hmm. from a pop culture standpoint or IRL. My uh, one of my brothers left me alone with an episode of Walking Dead, in which a man ate his own leg, or watched someone wa- eat his leg. There was some leg eating going on, and mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I don't really need to watch this. I'm like, I'm good. There's sort of like levels of violence that surpasses this threshold that I have. That you have yeah, and that's that passed it. Okay, and I was like, that's one of them. Walked away from it after that. So violent thresholds. <laughs> yeah. That's my new show we're going to do here on the air. Uh, how about coffee, apples or oranges? I drank coffee for seven years, and um, now I drink tea. So from the time you were eight to the time you were 15, <laughs> and then you were like, no, nope, I'm all tea. Uh, basically, when my child was quite young, I had a coffee thing going on, but yeah. I'm, I'm okay now. I can sleep normal hours. So tea does just fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. How do you feel? Uh, so there's a lot of articles about this, and I feel like I can uh, solve all the problems. But <laughs> where do you uh, stand on malls, apples or oranges? Oh, that's so interesting because, uh, let's see, I guess I'm, I'd be bananas on that one. Okay. Which I'm going for the middle ground. Yep. Um, the, you know, our mall nearby, the Fashion Square Mall, that's been dying a really slow death. For, really slow death, For like yeah. 20 years or Bankrupt, more. Bankrupt, and then uh, they just tore down the Sears. Yeah. And there were all these plans, like they were going to put a hotel in or yeah. make it more mixed use, but yeah, it's I don't just see any of that working. so crazy. My husband and I have been here for 20, more than 20 years, and when we were in college, that was the mall. Yeah. That was it. Like, and it was an actual mall with things in it. There so was a gap there. There was a gap. That was the death knoll, if you ask me. When the yes, gap uh, leaves. When the gap in Victoria's Secret leaves. That's a bad sign. That means that something sign. is horribly wrong. And then you've got all the uh, sort of off-brand food choices there now. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good for small business owners, but then then there's a nice mall, right? The Millennium Mall. Yeah. Super high-end, though. I can't, I can't buy anything on, like, half of that mall. It's just, yeah. like, I might as well not walk down there. <laughs> I'm not allowed down there. <laughs> well, what I'd like to do is bring back uh, like all the original mall stores, not even the Gap, like go back even like Spencer's further. Spencer's Gifts? Like Chess King. Spencer's oh, Gifts Chess. is still there, but. That's true. Yeah, They've survived somehow. Chess King, Orange Julius. like Orange Julius. A, you, they're still one in the Altamont Mall. Yeah. 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 But make it more of a nostalgic thing. Like we used to like, go there and just hang out because that's all there was to do. Yeah. Fast times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Like there's no other place thing to do except for right. go to the mall. So let's do that. Let's try that. And then yeah. until we have like a Z Cavarici sort of incident, then we'll be fine. Because <laughs> I feel like the pants taper so much that somebody's <laughs> going to get their uh, circulation cut off. Yeah. It's brutal. It'll happen. All right. Let's talk technology. Oh, good. The driverless car. How do you feel about driverless cars, apples or oranges? You're into it. I actually really am kind of a futurist. I really like gadgets and I like thinking about what's next all the time. And I'm, I want a Tesla so bad. Mm. The new Tesla that is affordable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That hasn't even been made yet, but like 400,000 people have deposited some money to have one. 
I just, I believe in that kind of um, technology that's putting like social concerns first and it's, I don't know, trying to do something good. Like, you know, my Apple watch is not going to do anything great for the world. It's just creating more like electronic trash that I have to figure out how to recycle later. Mm -hmm. But I feel like electric cars and autonomous cars are going to move us away from a lot of the pollution that we create. So I'm excited about that. Nice. All right. Very good. Uh, I don't know if you kept up with it. Did you see all the stuff going back and forth about the design for the Orlando flag? So, no. Mm-mm. Okay. So we're redesigning the Orlando flag. and As so, in the city of Orlando. The city of Orlando. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so what I wanted to ask you about was how do you see that from an, from an artist's perspective and mm. a teacher's perspective is having a need for that identity at that level? Yeah, I think that's really important. I think branding and identity. Um, actually, I'm teaching a class right now called The Power of Print. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at posters from different cultures and throughout our history. And um, the students keep saying, you know, I didn't really realize how important graphic design was, like to our history, to who we think we are, to what we aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we use graphic design to to represent our best selves or ideal selves as a society. And so I think flags are really part of that. Like, how do you represent, how, how do you think of yourself or, or what's your best self? You know, and how would you brand that visually? That's, yeah, so that's interesting. I'm glad we're thinking about that in yeah. Orlando. Yep. Nice. Yeah, I'll show you some pictures of it once we get off the air. Because, again, that's one thing that doesn't really translate to radio. Right. <laughs> pictures. Uh, so how about uh, video game consoles? So they just announced that they're going to stop producing the PlayStation 3 mm. after, like, 14 years. The PlayStation 4 came out four or five years ago. Mm. But they've still been producing the PlayStation 3. You have the Nintendo Switch coming out or just came out. How do you feel about uh, yeah. video game consoles? We're kind of um, funny in our family. We buy one every five or six years. We don't play a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But um, my daughter just turned 14 and she wanted a Switch. And so um, she just got that this weekend, actually. And it's so tiny. So, like, I was telling my husband yesterday, we actually took our old Wii into GameStop and traded it in. And I felt so light and free. <laughs> it's just like, I have this like Take issue this. with stuff and electronic stuff. Just is so, like the kind of stuff I can't stand to have around. Like useless electronics drive me nuts because they're just so wasteful. There's something so wasteful about them. So the smaller things get, the happier I get. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, so the Apple TV is like the right. that and the, little tiny the thing. The tininess of the, of the Switch is yeah. just so pleasing. Like, so yes, the, that's the size that should be. So old school stereo stuff, like the big <laughs> no. speakers and the receiver yeah. and all that. You're like, nope, get it out. Oh, my God. I had this thing that was supposed to be portable in college. It was a boom box. It was like the size of one of the plasma TV screens from the night. It was huge for no reason. Yeah. The electronics and it could be like compressed into a tiny big, jewelry yeah. box. But it was just this packaging. It was so nuts. Just the idea of you carrying around a humongous <laughs> boom box, though. Right, bigger, half the size of myself. Right. Yeah, on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's great. All right, how about the beach? Apples or oranges? Apples. Yeah, I love the, like beach. the beach. Yeah, I've lived in Florida almost my whole life. Um, we were. I was born in California. Oh, okay. And when I was um, really young, we used to drive to Mexico every weekend and go to Rosarita, Rosarita Beach, which is just across the border from San Diego. So I just, I think for a while, like when I was... 
14, I was like super goth and I wore black all year. I was like that kid in um, Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't leave the house and stuff. But other than that, I'm always, I've always been a really outdoorsy person. So I really love the beach. I mean, who doesn't love the beach? Except for the goth kids. I, and I the get goth it, goth kids. kids. Yeah. Shout out to the goth kids. I can't. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you gave them a shout out. They need it. Yeah, they do. They won't be awake right now, but later. They will definitely not be awake They'll be yet. Like, Dang, I got a shout out today. Sweet. How about, so this might appeal to you, hmm. uh, tiny houses. Yeah, that yeah. does appeal to me. You'd be into it? I would, yeah. I mean, not right now because you have a daughter and a husband and possibly pets. I'm trying to get rid of them. They're so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, my husband and I fantasize about retiring in a tiny home. Oh, nice. Yeah. Or like maybe one with wheels so we could take it places, you know. Yeah, the only problem I have with that is the uh, is the toilet situation. Like the <laughs> chemical toilet situation is not, not good. That's not. I need that plumbed. So, and then I'll have like maybe parked next to the tiny house is the RV. Well, maybe you could drag the outhouse behind the tiny house and just keep it disconnected. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm you down know, with that. Like have a train almost of yes. things that you're dragging yeah, yeah, along. Yeah. 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 And if the zombie apocalypse happens, that's even better. You're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Hey, how about, uh, okay, so this is very something very specific about Nutella. So we'll do two things. First of all, Nutella itself. Mm -hmm. And then this uh, design thing that they did because oh. I think it... Uh, involves taking jobs away from designers. So I don't know if you heard about this. So no, first of uh, all, apples or oranges, Nutella? Oranges. It's the palm oil thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. they And I don't know if they're sourcing their palm oil from a better source, um, but they were, they yeah, I just avoid palm oil stuff because it's like destroying jungles in Borneo and Sumatra. And, Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So what they did in Italy was they put together an algorithm to design 7 million unique packages. Oh, not humans, but an algorithm. An algorithm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and some so, human made the algorithm. Well, that's true. Yes. And so they came out with all of them. They were all numbered. Uh, mm -hmm. So they could be potentially collector's editions. Of they course. sold out in a month, apparently 7 million jars of Nutella. That's a lot of jars. Of That's Nutella. a lot of Nutella. Yeah. Actually, I just found one in the back of my pantry. I don't know what it was there for. It was like hardly eaten and it was old, like five years old. Was, was like, it a shame? It, it could where have been did this come from? It could have been shame <laughs> Nutella. <laughs> shame Nutella. Yeah. I don't know what it was there for. Somebody just, I'm so upset. <laughs> and then you put it in the back because you don't want anybody else to see your shame. And yeah. Then you forget they about hit it. it back there because you're not it might have been you you might just be forgetting it i could be doing that in the middle of the night yeah buying things with palm oil and eating yeah. them and shaming and just double shame <laughs> really because you're already ashamed and you're buying the stuff with the palm oil i know awful <laughs> well thank you for that so here's what we're going to have you do is uh choose uh green or pink and you're going to answer a question from a past guest okay green green so you're going to read that aloud, and then you're going to leave a question for the next guest. Okay. The question is, who was your first crush? I'm just reading it. Uh, well, you have to answer. I have to answer this? Yeah. Oh, my first crush. I I had a thing for Madonna. All right. <laughs> yes, we all kid. did. Sure. Well, and Cindy Lauper. They were, I was one of them for Halloween for a long time. Before. You, okay, so for a long time, does that mean consecutive Halloweens or you were literally like you started like all dressing year like long, them? pretty yeah. much. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, I remember going to um, uh, my my parents were Catholic. I remember going to church one Sunday and I showed up for church, dressed for church in like 
do you remember neon clothes? Uh, yes. Yeah. And then jelly bracelets from my wrist to my elbow on both arms, solid. You know, wow. like Wonder Woman's bracelets, but yeah. jelly bracelets. Yes. Yeah. Because you were working on your upper arms. I yeah. Guess. And yeah. so much makeup. It was insane. Like I was going clubbing, but I was 13. I was going to church. <laughs> it's a lot like clubbing for a 13 year old. <laughs> and I remember my dad was like, I, honey, this is too much. <laughs> this is too much. And my brothers, take some of that off. And I was like, it's Cindy Lauper. I can't this like I can't disown her. She's my thing. You know, She's my jam right now. She's my yeah. jam. You're you're actually wearing a uh, Cindy Lauper shirt right now. I totally or, am. More or less. Yeah, it says girls just want to have fun, demental rights. Yeah. Yeah, I bought it from her on Instagram. Oh. Yeah. So like that's a, actually her shirt. Yeah, it's a Planned Parenthood campaign that she's uh, supporting. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was very excited. I bought it so long ago. You know how those things, you never know if they're really going to come show up, things that you order from right, right. weird promotions the on world. social yeah. media. Yeah. But then it came, and I had forgotten I ordered it, and it was so exciting. Are you doing a lot of ordering that you're not... <laughs> sure it's gonna show up. I don't know. Maybe in the middle of the night when I'm meeting Nutella. Yeah, yeah, that that's, might be bad. That's what's we happening. We may need to work on that. I'm, like all kinds of things are gonna arrive on my doorstep today. Well, let's take a break. Let's try to play some music. Hopefully, we won't skip this time. And we're gonna hear from some Diet Sig, uh, which is a great band out of Brooklyn. It's mm. just a uh, lead singer and a drummer, a little punk rock. You duo. don't really need anything else. You really don't. That's it. What else do you need in life? Yeah, keep it simple. Yeah. K-I-S-S. <laughs> right? They didn't keep it simple. There were too no. many people in that band. There were way too many people. There were way too many. There was one too many cats. Yeah, yeah. so many. All right, so we're going to hear that. It's called uh, Bath Bomb here on WPRK. You're listening to a certain degree. Diet Sig on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. That was from their album, Swear I'm Good at This. just came out uh, a little while ago, and that is Bath Bomb. Which, uh, honestly, is almost an art form in and of itself. Those little bath bombs, they look like candy. Yeah, uh, like giant gumballs. Yeah, yeah. They They, they smell lovely. I'm sure they do. I don't take baths. Um, (laughs) You should start. uh, I'll think about it. I used to take pool baths. That used to be one of the 20 questions. Pool baths? Yeah. What's a pool bath? So let's say you're going to run an errand. You just finished mowing the lawn and you're about Uh, to run an errand. Just jump in the pool. Yeah, I think my father-in-law does that. Yeah. And then there's like the stuck on grass from the lawn in the pool. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, totally fine. <laughs> good morning. My name is Nick. I'm here with Rachel Simmons, professor of art here at Rollins College, an artist. Uh, I think I described you as a raconteuse mm. uh, online in that promoting the show. sounds dangerously like a raccoon. Yeah, you're part raccoon. That's chartreuse. Yes, you're sort of this purplish, pinkish... <laughs> Raccoon. Did I get that right? Chartreuse? Yes. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> Wait, no. Isn't chartreuse a green color? Yeah. No, I don't okay. know. Yeah. We'll look that up know. later. Okay. I'm sure it's not that important. I Not at all. So let me ask you, how did you, you know, everybody starts out mm-hmm. the direction they're going to go in a different way. So you ended up at Rollins College. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, college later in the show. Yeah. Uh, and then you were, when you got here, were you like, it's it's studio art for me? You were an artist from way back, or was it something that you found and discovered later on in Mm. life? No, I don't. I think when I got here, um, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. And the reason I came here is because my high school art teacher was a Rollins graduate. Oh, okay. 
So um, she talked to me about Rollins um, my whole senior year of high school, maybe even before then, actually. And she was like, look, you could go to an art school, but you won't necessarily learn, you know, how to be a good public speaker or uh, be a good writer or um, you won't learn a lot about other things, perhaps, at just an art school. And she, I think she saw in me that I had a lot of curiosity about the world. So uh, my dad took me on a tour of Rollins. And, um, and this is when you guys were out in California or were you No, I've lived in uh, Florida since I was five. Oh, so okay. we um, lived in Tampa, Tampa Bay. And um, then we moved a little further south to Bradenton. Mm -hmm. So this high school art teacher was um, a woman who was teaching in Bradenton, Florida. And uh, anyway, I when I came to Rollins, I thought, like a lot of our students do, we thought, I thought, oh, this place is gorgeous. It's pretty cool. It's like a small little village of its own, mm -hmm. like a community. Um, but when I got here, um, I think I did the high school art star thing which I've seen a lot since I teach here where I was like, yeah, I don't, I shouldn't really have to work too hard at this art thing. This should be pretty easy for me. And, uh, I got a good wake up call from my professor who was from, uh, Bosnia. And she was like, uh, no, we'll be having none of this high school art star stuff. <laughs> like you will actually go and work hard on things and try. And so I did after that. Um, but I had so many interests at Rollins yeah. and, um, I got into the honors program which I didn't even know existed until I got here. And then they invited me and that changed everything. I was so curious about the world. Um, and so the honors program was a way for me to learn about psychology and history and politics and um, sociology and, and art and philosophy and pull that all into the same discussion in the same class. So we had this really cool class about memory mm -hmm. Um, and I still te teach or infuse memory into my classes to this day because I just think it's a really fascinating topic, like how memory shapes us, how it helps us um, figure out who we are or who we were uh, or who we might be in the future. Um, and so classes like that where we got to read um, all kinds of texts from people from a wide variety of fields like Oliver Sacks who studied, you know, people with... Um, disorders, disorders of the mind, um, and, and memory disorders in particular. And then we would read, you know, um, literature, um, an autobiography about memory. And so, uh, just thinking about something from a number of disciplinary viewpoints has always been something I've really been interested in mm -hmm. and got to do at Rollins. And when I got to art school, I realized what a weird artist it had made me <laughs> well and that's what I so let's talk a little bit about that because I think there's always that sort of well you want an interdisciplinary background you want to learn a lot yeah. of subjects you want to do all that and, and that'll influence you and make you a better person yeah so let's talk about you specifically mm -hmm. how did that make you or how did that affect your art mm -hmm. and how did that affect you as an artist well I think um one of the things um was that it gave me the the tools to go out and research something that I was interested in, whether or not it was something I knew about previously or not. Um, so when I was in graduate school, um, at LSU, yeah, at LSU. Yeah. I was, I was already able to sort of go out and research a topic and pull it into my work, um, in a way that was pretty fluid for me. 
Um, and even though in graduate school, I focused much more on um, abstract work, uh, it wasn't doing the work that I'm doing now about the environment. Um, I still felt like I could bounce around um, and not just within like the content or the or, or the idea of the work, but also in making the work. Mm-hmm. In fact, my thesis advisor was like, why don't you just, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like scurry off to the sculpture studio and I'd be pouring aluminum sculptures and, and building boxes. And then I'd scurry off to the print shop and I'd be printing all these things. And, and my advisor was like, you know, you're in the painting and drawing department. Like maybe <laughs> you should make some paintings and drawings. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm being stifled. You know, I was just like not used to that because at Rollins, I could sort of bounce around and sure and feed my various interests and cobble things together and do all this mixed media stuff. So, um, so how did you handle that? How did you, what did I, you he was doing? such a great guy and I was oh, like, okay. um, yeah, okay. Like I was so resistant to it. <laughs> like, uh, I don't like being told what to do in any way, shape or form. Uh, that's good. That's good as a teacher. It's then. so, yeah. yeah, why I have the job I have because <laughs> I've been fired from other jobs. <laughs> just So anyway, I, 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 he was really coming at it from a place of trying to help me, you know, get through my master's program. And I was like, yeah, okay, I get that. Like, it's yeah. okay to concentrate on one thing for a while and try to be better at that thing. You know, you can always move on to another thing later. But, you know, like I'm a sort of... um Jane of all trades, master of none kind of person. Like mm-hmm. I'm always interested in learning something new. Um, well, and did the MFA, uh, um, I've always been curious about this from a master's perspective, mm-hmm. uh, even though it was in painting and drawing, mm-hmm. did it give you some of the tools you needed to do stuff in other uh, media or mediums? Well, it's interesting. The MFA has really shifted over the last 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. So traditionally it would be like drill drill down into this one particular medium right. and get really good at it. And, and within, you know, your medium, maybe you really specialize in, you know, working with this, you know, maybe you just specialize in oil painting on this surface for whatever, three years. Um, but now MFA programs are much more interdisciplinary. Um, so in, in fact, I was kind of an oddball artist when I started graduate school 20 years ago, but now Every artist is really doing these, this interdisciplinary, multidis, you know, artists are like partnering with people outside of the arts and we're making work about social issues and we, we might be making work, uh, uh, that's not even like rooted in real objects. We might just be making work that's about discussing issues with people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a whole kind of wide open sense, a really exciting sense of being able to do whatever you want as an artist and call it your practice. Uh, which is so confusing for people who are trying to understand what artists do. But uh, I guess we like confusing people or we don't really care. I mean, that's, that's part that's of the it. Byproduct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. What would you say if you had one, if somebody were to say, hey, what is your main mm. sort of uh, vehicle for yeah. your art? Is it printmaking? Because I know you're obviously, you teach in that and yeah. you've been doing that for quite a while. Yeah, I think um, when I came to teach here at Rollins, I was really uniquely prepared to do so because I'd been here. It was weird, but I was okay with like jumping in and teaching honors classes. And uh, one of the things that I started doing was 
taking advantage of being at a really small school and being able to collaborate with my colleagues. So I had this long project where um, Tom Moore from physics and Tom Cook from philosophy and Dan Crozier from music, who's a composer, we all four did this project together for years where we were translating uh, sound into art, back into sound and doing it all with mathematics and just really interesting things that I I wouldn't be able to do at a big school mm-hmm. because everybody's so invested heavily in their own particular research and they wouldn't spend any time doing silly things like that with their colleagues. Right, right. And then they would be very specialized. Yeah. They but, have to be. Yeah. But here, like people are open to doing that kind of collaboration. So I still have collaborative projects. You know, I collaborate with Julian Chambliss on Future Bear and I collaborate with Lee Lines. Um, we do this project about sustainability and scale and the environment. Um, and so I love to do that kind of stuff because it feeds my intellectual curiosity about the world and it makes me feel like my art has a bigger purpose outside of being art. It's always about something else, generally about creating some kind of awareness about the environment or our relationship to the environment. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like as a printmaker, yes, I do a lot of printmaking and I've done more and more and more printmaking since I started here 18 years ago. Um, But I do all kinds of printmaking and I'll do all kinds of things tangential to printmaking and um, socially engaged art is one of those areas that I'm really interested in. So it's about talking to people. Yeah, we'll make some objects together. We'll make some prints. But really what we're doing is having a discussion about something Mm -hmm. and that's the art that we're making so it it transcends the making is such an important part of what I do and I'm definitely a maker I like to make things but I also like to connect with people about what we're making and why we're making it and I like to make things together with other people so I don't have a very like solitary practice that was always my issue with being in the painting and drawing department was like being locked away in my studio by myself and like not having that collaborative energy, that exchange with other people. So I, I'm much more comfortable in a print shop environment than I am in a studio yeah. by myself environment. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in terms of your work process in the next hour, but uh, let's uh, play a quick song. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about the industry in general. So we had a really good conversation a couple of weeks ago about art and odd places, about mm-hmm. what sort of the Orlando scene is. And you can take a look at that on my website, to a certain degree.com. But we'll talk a little bit more about that. Okay. With Rachel Simmons. Thank you. Ta-da. And it's almost, you know, the first hour is almost over. So oh, my gosh. You. It was going to be super easy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hear from uh, the Wombats. This is Moving to New York on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. The Wombats on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Moving to New York from their album, A Guide to Love, Loss, and Desperation, which are all sort of the same thing, I think. (laughs) My name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree. I'm here with Rachel Simmons. Good morning again, Rachel. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks Uh, for having me. Moving to New York is, I played that on purpose because uh, one of the things we've talked about before is... Mm -hmm. This idea, you've been here for about 20 years in the Orlando area. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were a student here, you went away to grad school, and then you came back and you've been a faculty member and instructor here. But you've also been involved in the, you know, sort of the art scene here in Central Florida as well. So you've got Mm -hmm. to see it firsthand. And the moving to New York thing is sort of that, uh, you know, that stereotype of people get trained here, they love what they do, but 
you can only go so far in a market like Orlando. And mm -hmm. so they moved to New York, they moved to Chicago, LA, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're seeing, and I've been here for about 20 years as well, is less of that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I almost make that comparison to sports where uh, you could be in a secondary market but still have a big brand. Right. You could still be in a secondary market and still sell your art mm -hmm. or have it seen or get into a gallery in New York or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's happening here? Yeah. Um, I think that the Orlando area has changed a lot in the last 20 years in terms of arts and culture. I think art, the arts and culture used to just be, you know, um, about the theme parks. Like you had to like leave Orlando or something and drive. Right to Kissimmee and then you had quote unquote cultural things to look at if you think Beauty and the Beast shows are cultural things but well um, it was also sort of if you wanted to perform that was a performance yeah, gig a and regular a, performance I'm, gig a lot of our theater majors I know they have access uh, to internships and jobs mm -hmm. at the theme parks that a lot of people want um, and for sure it's been a good driver of that but um and like some of my friends who came here in the 80s and 90s, they started out doing like scenic work at Disney or Universal or film work or we used to have a film industry. You might remember that. Yeah, we wanted to be Hollywood East for a yeah. while and that didn't so yeah. much work out. So a lot of people were really excited about being in Orlando um, because we did have some of those opportunities, but they were so limited to those particular types of experiences of um, working in these um large corporate scenic shop sorts of deals. And so I think what's different about it is that, um, one, uh, you could stay here and start your own thing mm -hmm. and it might have a good chance of surviving, right? We've got all kinds of literary groups. Um, there, there are local writers, you know, there are, um, uh, people starting galleries or throwing together shows in spaces that they can just, um, use temporarily. Um, there's all kinds of really interesting things popping up all the time and creatives, young creatives that are staying here in the city yeah. to make, it's not just make those things, but also show up at their friends' events and bring people who've never been to any of those events. Like, um, so I think it's growing and that's really exciting to see. That's the kind of thing I would have loved to have 20 years ago when I was that age. When you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that as much as, you know, old people like you and I can do to support that um, and make it and help it flourish is really important. When I think that's the next connection that needs to be made, right? Mm -hmm. So like I, I just discovered the Henao Center, H-E-N-A-O Center mm -hmm. over on Edgewood Drive. And it's amazing. I mean, this great space that they converted. Tell me about that. It's this great space. This uh, uh, this uh, young man named Jose mm -hmm. uh, Henoa. And now, uh, who went to UCF, mm -hmm. got his MFA there. Uh, he found this space, got it on the cheap, and has converted it into a performance uh, room in the oh. back and an art gallery in the front. That's awesome. And he's doing great events. And now, I, I think it's a matter of us finding those. Mm -hmm. And so you have sort of the patrons. Right. You've got this new generation of patrons, sort of this um, uh, uh, which Generation X, mm -hmm. we're out there. We don't necessarily have a ton of disposable income, but we'll come support that mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and finding a way to connect it with sort of the millennial idea that, it, you know, it's within my 
circle? How do I promote this beyond yeah. just the people in my social network? Yeah. Yeah. So I think once we figure that out, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. Also, there's this idea that like everybody can and wants to be a maker of something. Mm-hmm. I, I think that comes from the last couple years of everybody being like Uber consumers. Like they were just consuming content and material right. like crazy. And in front of the Wonder Woman film, there was a trailer and Marky Mark. I still call him Marky Mark. Sure. Love, Why wouldn't you? I love Marky Mark. He's, he's another one of my crushes. He's in all of our hearts. <laughs> he's walking through this landscape that's changing. He's like, we want our media on our phones. We want everything. We want live streaming. We want movies. We want everything we want right now. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so terrifying, but it's so true. right? <laughs> so American. We want everything. We want it right yeah. now. Right. So we're consuming constantly. But that's like a real bummer after a while. You can only be just consuming for so long before you feel kind of like a succubus, like you're not right. adding anything to the world. And what the millennials want most of all is to be adding something to the world and contributing. And they really do care about social causes and they really um, want to have a voice and, yeah. and make something and contribute something. So I think these maker spaces. And these um, sorts of events where people are actually showing up, also showing up to talk to each other in person. That's a treat. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a delight yeah. to talk to people in person and not just talk to people through a screen. So I think all of those things like making things and interacting socially are what we desperately need in this consumer-based, social media-based sort of society that we find ourselves in at the moment. And I, I think that's contributing to people wanting to stay locally, wanting to build something from the ground up. Like I want to go start a brewery, you know, and in the brewery, I'm going to have this uh, space where I can show artwork. Right. right? And just um, making those local connections and making their community into a place that they want to live versus going to move to a community that's already established that looks like something they might like. Right. Yeah. And I wish I'd had sort of this mindset growing up. Uh, I grew up in Daytona beach and so my family had come down from Canada and, you know, there was this big uh, group of Greeks that came down mm -hmm. and it was Daytona Beach because Tarpon was overrun with Greeks. They were like, well, we can't move there. Mm. Let's try this Daytona Beach out. There's too many Greeks. There's there. too many <laughs> Greeks on that coast. We've hit our capacity. <laughs> right. Let's try over here. And it was you either restaurants or gift shops and my family was gift shops. Mm. And now looking back at it, you know, I wanted... There was nothing I could do to get out of that right. faster. Right. Like it just wasn't for me, like the whole idea of being there every day or managing it and selling just stuff. That Tchotchkes, is, as my mother would say. Yeah, is a nice way of putting it. Um, but looking back at it, looking at what somebody uh, like an organization like Foxdale Coffee has done mm -hmm. or some of the little shops around like the New General and stuff like that, I'm like, what if I had been able to switch that over into right. something a little more compelling? Because there just wasn't a model like that. Then. No, no, yeah. there wasn't even any thinking in terms of it was about making money. It was about making as much money as he could between, you know, January and August, because then the rest of the year was, you know, you basically barely had any people coming in. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so looking back at it, you know, that was something I still would have had to work with my family and try to convince them that that was a good idea. So that probably wouldn't have worked. <laughs> But other than that, yeah, it's this, uh, it's interesting to see that mindset and try to 
you know, I'll 3D print some stuff. I'll go to the makerspace. Yeah. I'll pretend I can, you know, woodwork and things of that nature. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, I'll just fake it. Right. <laughs> or I, just fake just it. Can I just do that first part? Because the second part uh, sounds really difficult. And, uh, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work. Well, so let's play another song. And I do want to get into, we'll talk about this the next hour, I think, um, a little bit of, so studio art mm -hmm. uh, and how that translates to design. Mm -hmm. um, so I was reading a lot of articles last night about, uh, you know, how the, the tech industry is hiring even more designers than ever. Mm -hmm. So they're actually going, it was showing the numbers of, uh, you know, how many employees to design employees and everything was going down the ratio. Design thinking. Yeah. In terms of uh, everything that you're doing from, uh, you know, and, and one thing that jumps out to me because I was in the marketing industry here mm -hmm. in Orlando is graphic design. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of really interesting things. And I, I've always been interested in how, okay, how would you say a studio art degree or a studio art background translates to graphic design. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. We've got some bad business ideas coming up. I'm sure oh, you're excited about that. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk music. Uh, we've got the pop culture quiz coming up. So you'll hear all that in a few minutes. Uh, and then if you've missed any of the show or you're going to miss any of the show because you're getting to work and you're mm -hmm. an early bird, mm -hmm. uh, you can listen to it later on to certain degree.com where I edit out all of the swear words that Rachel has uh, used this morning. Beep. Yeah, Beep. which is pretty interesting. I didn't realize there were so many <laughs> art-related swear words, so that was uh, pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, let's listen to The Blood Group now. This is Blue Moon number 3 on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Bellows on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. That was their album, or I'm sorry, their song, Beauty. You're listening to a certain degree. Beauty seems appropriate because I'm here with Rachel Simmons. Good morning. My name is Nick, by the way. And uh, we're talking art. We're talking bad business ideas here in a moment. You're, you seem so excited about that. <laughs> so I'm just contemplating what beauty has to do with art. So you've stumped me there. Oh, man, we're going to get into a philosophical man, discussion right throw now. Throw it down. Yeah, let's do that yeah. after bad business ideas. Okay. Because you may be too exhausted from this to <laughs> argue. You may disagree with Is me. Is that your plan? Just to wear this. me out like a toddler? Yeah. And then send me on my way? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Now, what I do for bad business ideas is I'm going to present two ideas, and you're going to choose the best of the worst. Mm -hmm. uh, because by being on the show, and I don't know if I told you this beforehand <laughs> or... You know, it's very obvious on the website. Uh, for all the listeners, there's an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can't steal any of these ideas. Oh, no. No. And by being the guest, you will, when you choose one, have to run that company. Okay. And so... Do, you, do I have seed money? Uh, sure, if you have some. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or so you're going to have to go find them. It's like magic bean money. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. And these will get funded. I mean, either one of these are... Let me put it this way, golden. Venture venture capitalists, beware. They will be I throwing. I hope they're listening they, right oh, now. Yeah. They, they know to listen <laughs> at the 8 a.m. time frame because we do this every week. I have bad business ideas yeah. every week. <laughs> and I actually chalk this up, speaking of being Greek, I chalk this up sort of to the gypsy nature of uh, my family and, you know, always trying to come up with the next million dollar idea. You're genetically predisposed to bad business ideas. Is I, that what you're saying? 1,000%. <laughs> yes. This is not going on my resume, by the way. 
Uh, Rachel, may I call you Rachel? Yes, please. Great. Please do. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this. <laughs> this is kind of art related, but earlier this year, protesters in the United Kingdom were fed up with the Coca-Cola company mm. uh, and specifically around the amount of plastic bottles mm -hmm. that they produce every year. It seems like over, uh, according to Greenpeace, a uh, report that says Coke sells more than 100 billion bottles every uh -huh. year. Uh, so to bring attention to this fact, GP or Greenpeace, I mm -hmm. call them GP. They're friends uh, of yours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Created a 2.5 ton statue. And they put it outside of Coke's UK headquarters so people couldn't get in and out. Mm. So the statue was a family trying to enjoy themselves on the beach, a scene, a very scenic scene. Mm. And uh, unfortunately for them, there were a number of seagulls in the sculpture as well that were throwing up, that were vomiting plastic. So it's pretty <laughs> gross. But I, I really like the idea of it because it was effective, right? Yeah. It brought some attention to it. I obviously read about it in the news and things of that nature. So we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere with art because I, I feel like I'm pretty woke, but I didn't think that art could be a protest mm. over something. Oh, yeah. And so do you do you, do you have an idea of where I'm going with this? I, I think I do. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to say it or do you want me to keep going? No, keep going. It's okay. Good. That's very smart of you. <laughs> uh, so what could they have done differently, in my opinion, was why didn't Greenpeace, and maybe they did, but why didn't they get that sponsored? Why mm. didn't they get maybe Pepsi or another competitor to sort of put this protest sculpture in place against Coca-Cola? And that's where we come in. Ah, so yes. our new company, mm -hmm. Art is a Whip, will place <laughs> protest art of many different genres, mixed media, in such a way to hamper your competition and cast them in the worst possible light. Hey, Rachel. <laughs> Why run a smear campaign when you can run a Shakespeare campaign? Mm -hmm. Why choose attack ads when you can choose Monet's lily pads? That, of course, say something bad about your competitors. <laughs> so, art as a whip. Yeah. Let's run a quick role play. Mm -hmm. Because nobody likes role plays early in the morning more than everybody. Mm -hmm. Yes, all, the time. all of us. So, I'll be Malcolm Crow and you're Hudson Hawk. And we work at Willis Incorporated at Nakatomi Plaza. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of information. Just okay. remember that you're Hudson Hawk and I'm Malcolm Crow. Okay. And so you're CEO of Willis Incorporated. You're meeting with me about the marketing plan. And uh, we make clocks, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so okay. Ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, well, Miss Hawk, I just, the, the plan we have is really good. The marketing plan we have is, is great. It's, it's actually okay. It's not a great, you're going to fire me. This is a terrible <laughs> campaign. We just have ads and... And things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's scene. Mm -hmm. So you did great, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, you were. Okay. Now, Malcolm Crow, my character, mm -hmm. has gone to Art as a Whip. Okay. Well, uh, uh, Miss, Miss Hawk, I almost called you Miss Crow, but I'm <laughs> Malcolm Crow and you're Hudson Hawk. Can you believe they had two Bruce Willis characters named after birds? No. Yeah, so they did. Uh, so, Miss, Miss Hawk, do you like how I can go in and out of the scene? You're, it's so fluid. Yeah. I mean, it's like magic. Uh, so, Miss Hawk, we have an idea after meeting with Art as a Whip. Uh, we're going to have, we make clocks. You do? We do. Oh, oh we do. Yeah, and Willis Incorporated. Of course. Yes. Uh, and what we're going to do is melt clocks over our competition's manufacturing and warehouse facilities as an art, you know, sort of thing. Uh, and we're going to protest, protest their ageism. Oh. Because they make clocks as right, well. Right, yeah. right, right. And melting clocks is 
You've thought about this. Yeah. Okay. It's all all coming together. What do you think, Miss Hawk? (laughs) What do I think? Oh, no, I meant about melting the clocks on the competitors. Are we... So we're still in the scene. I got... Do I have to have a dumb voice? No. Oh, okay. Why are you saying my voice is dumb? No, uh, no. It seems like you were. No, I I mean, it was kind of patronizing a little bit. For who? For like the Midwestern marketing guy that you're... Oh, I wasn't even doing Midwestern. Oh, well, thank you. That was happening. Thank you so much. That's a compliment. (laughs) I wasn't even trying for it, but apparently it did. It was coming through. I'm awesome. (laughs) Uh, Melting clocks. Okay. That could work uh, if they don't um, take legal action against us, perhaps. That could could happen. And scene. Okay. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. So, there you go. So that's art as a whip. Okay. That's idea number one. All right. So now idea number two, if I could get this to work. Uh, Rachel, let me ask you something about mm-hmm. street performers. Okay. Whether they're musicians, artists, jesters, writers, they have a certain look, right? Jesters especially. Especially. Uh, or ex- expect them to have a certain look, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you were, if I were to say you were walking down the street and you see a street musician, what would he or she be wearing potentially? Um, blue jeans ripped at the knees, mm-hmm. um, kind of a s- slightly smelly flannel shirt or t-shirt. Um, they'd have a backwards hat or not. I think you're thinking hustler of some kind, maybe a card hustler. I was thinking actual street music. How about an old timey band <laughs> playing like blue grassy music? What do you, what do they dress like? Uh, ZZ Top. ZZ Top. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this may not be the right idea for you, but (laughs) what I was thinking is more suspenders and a bow tie and, you know, they've got their clever little caps. Oh, I was just going with the beards alone. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then they have their beards. Mm -hmm. So if you're an artist, if you're like, you know, trying to sell your wares on the street or Mm -hmm. something along those lines, maybe you need something kind of paint spattered. Or something along those lines. Yeah, maybe. So, I mean, you could be a house painter like that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But I, I think where I'm going with this is that from the artist's perspective, who has the time to go out to all the thrift stores to find the right clothes to wear when you're out there busking? It's basically. a lot. That's a lot of work. Yeah, the suspenders, the right shade of suspenders, the right tie, the right, you know, how many hats are there out there? So many. Uh, so who has the time to find those unmatched pair of socks? Uh the person you're going to hire to go find your mismatched socks we at the do. thrift yeah, store. Yeah, that's right. Our new that's company, our Busk Box. Busk. Oh, we'll gosh. send a monthly subscription-based box mm-hmm. uh, to street performers, and it'll be you know depending on what it is that you do. So, if you're a musician, you get this box. If you're a magician, you get this box. Can you customize writer. for bluegrass versus like absolutely? Folk yeah, yeah, rock. which I think is pretty close, but yeah. Hey, watch it. Okay. Don't insult the bluegrass people. All right. Well, that would mean that folk <laughs> is terrible, but all right. Or enough. vice versa. Or vice versa. So, yeah. So, and you, it might be by region as well. So, if you're up north, you may want some warmer clothes versus if you're down south. Right. So, that's the idea behind it is we'll send you a couple of different options for you for that month. I like that. And yeah. obviously, you're still a street performer, so you don't want too many options. You don't want to seem like you're a well-to-do busker. No. So you're only going to have a couple of uh, options every month. You got to promote the exact image yeah. you're going for. Yeah. yeah. So the the eighty shirt that you needed to complete your look, we can get that for or you. Or if you're busking on South Beach, the G string and roller skates combo. Yeah. 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 That could be a very popular one. Yeah. Or not at all. 
in any case, what you're doing is, you know, you're sending us money every month. We've got this recurring revenue. We're mm-hmm. sending out stuff that we find at the thrift store. Uh, yeah. I think it could be very, very lucrative. High profit margin. Yeah. yeah. So those are your options. Busk box and art as a whip. Wow. So protest art that we do on commission and we just sort of, I, maybe legally, maybe not. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. I feel like if the uh, the bull on Wall Street can stay when that was kind of mm-hmm, put there mm-hmm. overnight and not really, you know, and that's been there for now 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and that not, not that that was necessarily in protest. That was as part of a uh, uh, the artist who came up with that, I think, was just doing it because he wanted to support. He wanted to show support of the U.S. after the big uh, stock fall of 1987 or 1986. If that were the running of the bulls, though, and the bulls block traffic, yep. that would be a different type of protest art. That would be a different type right. of protest art. Like yeah. if you were preventing some company from getting to work, so they would be less, uh, yeah. Any preventing of potential profits being made is, is the issue. <coughs> <laughs> so I don't know. That idea is intriguing. I mean, I think art as protest is, has a long tradition. Mm-hmm. And and it's a um, a really great innovate. A lot of innovation comes from that, right? Because you got to think about the purpose, the audience, the site, the materials, the message. All of that has to come together to really be effective. You're the perfect person for this. Like the skit in Portlandia where they um, are the eco terrorists. Oh yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you seen that skit? Yep. And they're mostly concentrating on their outfits. So it's actually a blend of the busking <laughs> idea and the art protest idea. They get distracted. You know, they don't we have that do full, full, like, focus of purpose. How about protest box? How about we send Ooh. out the protest clothing? Yes. Yes. I like that a lot. And maybe there's some, uh, uh, there's some protein bars in there because you're always on the run. Yeah. You've got a, there's a lot of, like, like a survival kit. For protesters, exactly. I would go for that. Okay, so I like this because of what it's come it's blending come together, <laughs> and you're going to run it. Yeah. So I love that part about it. Yeah, I do too. That's going to be right, great. We'll come up with some. Names you won't for have to it. do anything. It'll just all be me. Oh yeah, no, that was the plan <laughs> from the get go. Yeah, that's always always the plan. Yeah. All right, great. So we've come up with that. So look for your first subscription based box and charges. If you're listening to the show, you're automatically going to get charged. Yeah, you're enrolled. And, yeah. So you're going to have to find something to protest. I guess we could customize it for a protest. I would imagine if you're going. Oh yeah. If it's a whaling thing, you're going to get some waterproof stuff. Yeah, you don't want to be mistaken for the other side. So you really have to have your identity established. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Like Maybe we could pre make signs. Oh, you get your nice sign. That's a good idea. Get your outfit, your water bottle, your granola bars, your stadium pal. You know the stadium pal? <laughs> I have no idea what that is. It's a Davis Sedaris short story about the stadium pal. It, like, so you don't have to get up and go to the bathroom. You just strap this little bottle catheter oh, thing down. Yeah. That's yeah, good. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's fa- fantastic. Okay. Well, we've talked catheters this morning <laughs> on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. <laughs> You're listening to Certain Degree. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, we're going to play some music, so and then we're going to come back and talk about music, okay. as a matter of fact. So let's listen to some uh, Death Cab for Cutie. This actually really goes along well with uh, bad business ideas. You can do better than me mm-hmm. on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. And that's why I can't wear a hat. 
That was a oh. long story. Yeah, yeah. And good morning. Welcome back to WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. And I guess not welcome back. You're still on WPRK because you're still tuned into it on yeah. some level. Nobody tuned out. Nobody after that last segment. Uh, so that was Iron and Wine with On Your Wings and Death Cab for Cutie prior to that with You Can Do Better Than Me, which should be the Bad Business Idea theme song. Mm. Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm here with Rachel Simmons, professor of art, all around nice person to a certain degree waking up. Yeah, trying. Yeah. Or going, Struggling. actually reverting a little bit. <laughs> Might be. Yeah. This will be great. So I, feel I can like do this part lying down, right? You can absolutely. Okay. We should both do this part lying down. Like we should the, do like a, a therapy session. Some pillows on the floor. I guess you only one of us would be lying down in a therapy session. Yeah. If we were both lying down in a therapy session, that would just be sleeping. That would actually be some pretty good therapy. Hey, let's <laughs> talk about, well, maybe this will get you excited and wake you up a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about music. Okay. So one thing I'm always fascinated by is... I have a lot of people who uh, make stuff. Even if you don't think you're a maker, you really do make things. Mm -hmm. you're, you're out there doing something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I'm always interested in how they consume music mm. while they're in the process of doing things. So yeah. unless you're a musician, it really doesn't matter. Uh, but you're an artist. Uh, and so do you listen to music while you're working? Do you have something on in the background? Do you feel like you're more productive when that's happening? Yes, I do listen to music while I'm working. Um, I'll have certain playlists that I make to do um, different types of things. Um, and also I have favorite bands too. So when they come out with something new, I might listen to the album over and over and over again. We were talking about OK Computer, mm -hmm. the first, well, third, third. for me, the first Radiohead album that right. I really, really liked. I did um, listen to the album before. The Benz. The Benz. That was the first one I owned, but um, OK Computer was so different. Mm -hmm. And it came out um, my first semester of graduate school. So I had a, a studio inside the exterior shell of the football stadium at LSU. Oh, OK. It was condemned six months after I moved out of it. It was crumbling. There were holes in the walls. And um, I was up on the fourth floor. It was terrifying. <laughs> Apparently, they built it as a dorm for first-year students. Right, yeah. Sort of a hazing move, if you ask me. It was a little bit creepy to be living in the football stadium. And then on top of that, like, when there were games, we would have to leave the studios. And when we would come back to the studios, we would have to push our way through piles of beer cans and the smell of urine to get back into our art-making spaces. <laughs> So I wasn't a real big fan of college football before. And then and now you while I was L totally LSU only yeah. got worse. Uh, but I remember listening to OK Computer over and over mm -hmm. again in that crumbling space. And every time I ever hear it, I'm right back in that space, like making those first paintings that I made in graduate school um, and saying hi to my neighbor through the gap in the wall. <laughs> Hello, what are you working on today? Hey, what's going on over there? That <laughs> looks good. Yeah, so music's always been really important to my practice. Um, the last couple of years, I've been working a lot with Letterpress. And if you don't know Letterpress, it's, uh, you know, it's this technology that basically has been around for thousands of years that Gutenberg, Johannes Gutenberg, um, made into uh, the form that we 
kind of used to make all the earliest printed books, mm -hmm. like the democracy of print relied on Gutenberg's uh, press. A lot of people were working on developing movable type in that in the 15th century, but he sort of nailed it and uh, made it marketable and made it um, pr profitable. So this isn't like a mimeograph or a copier. This is no. typesetting. This and is every single letter is a piece of metal or wood. And you put every single letter together to spell what you would like to spell and set it backwards with backwards facing letters. Um, so it's a very slow process. Mm -hmm. It's a very meditative process. I would imagine. Um, and I have to have music on to sort of stay in the zone and stay focused. Um, but I enjoy it so much. I guess it's the way other people might enjoy um, running something that's sort of repetitive and puts them in a different mindset or maybe the way some people enjoy uh, knitting or carving mm -hmm. something where that repetition is actually a really soothing kind of um, good mental space to be in. So that's what typesetting is like for me. Um, and imagine music you, is huge part of that. When you're doing the typesetting mm -hmm. and you sort of go into that, you know, uh, what I would describe as an avatar state. Cause I was yes, just watching a absolutely. cartoon <laughs> um, Do you, are you thinking about other pieces maybe? Or are you thinking about other things you may want to do in the future as well? So, or are you really just in the, in the zone on that? I think it's a bit more like meditation where you're supposed to sort of keep yourself in the present. Um, it's not exactly like daydreaming. Okay. It's actually the kind of task that music, the music I'm listening to is occupying a certain part of my brain. Right. But then the typesetting requires quite a lot of my attention. But there isn't a conflict between those two pieces of my attention. Like I'm fully aware of the music and I'm fully able to set the type. Right. Uh, I can do this when I draw. If I draw, I can listen better. So I often will listen to podcasts. One of my favorites is uh, The Hidden Brain mm -hmm. um, or Invisibilia. And so I can listen to those and really listen to them if I'm drawing. But I couldn't listen to so those and set type. Set type. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the language centers of my brain would just be like overloaded. Right. I couldn't pay attention to one or the other. So the music you're listening to when you're setting type, does it have words in it or does it? Is yeah, it, is I, it, it can have lyrics. Yeah. Is it typically music you're already familiar with? Yes. Yeah. If I have to be thinking too hard about the lyrics, then that language part is distracting, too distracting when I'm setting type. Because I'm spelling while I'm setting type. Like it's writing. Yeah. But it's really slow writing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what was, so let me ask you this about the process. The last, uh, what was the last work that you were, uh, you were doing? The last big uh, project I did was an artist book that I finished um, this early, this spring. I guess it was actually January when I finished it. So winter, but we don't really have winter here. So yeah, I just skip ahead to spring. Nice. Yeah. And what was that called? Um, it's called Conceited Rural Dandies. And it was um, a collaborative project that I started at Lawrence University. I was a visiting artist there last fall. Oh, okay. Um, so during a workshop or something? Yeah. Like so we started it and it's... Um, inside of this project I call Mass Migrations, which is um, all about birds and bird watching, the culture of bird watching, and investigating it as a way to investigate our relationship with birds and larger than that with nature. So um, the project, it always has some bird watching involved in it. Mm -hmm. And then um, whatever group I'm working with, we talk about birds and we 
I have these old vintage bird watching books where we have where there are these really funny archaic captions with illustrations of birds and we we often talk about birds like we talk about people you know we have these little like mother blue jay prepares the nest you know these sort of like depending on what in which time period these were written they'll reflect all of the stereotypes that we have about ourselves all of our perceptions right, about right. gender and class and everything else will be wrapped in, into these observations as, we have about birds right anthropomorphic bird exactly. people yeah so we learn a lot about ourselves when we look at these sorts of artifacts and um and also i just like the idea of using something like birds birds are ubiquitous it doesn't matter where you live on earth you know about birds mm -hmm. And so it crosses a lot of cultural boundaries and also introduces you to things that people know locally that you may not know for in your area. Like you may, or things you may share, like we share uh, sandhill cranes. We know them in Florida, but everybody that I've ever met in Nebraska knows them too, because that's where they migrate through this one valley in Nebraska. So I have this connection with people in Nebraska just because of those birds, because they're such a huge part of uh, the landscape there. So in this piece, which uh, you can actually see on your website, rachelsimmons.net, mm -hmm. it, it's a fold out or is it a bound piece, like almost like a book? It's both. It's a, artist books can come in a variety of different formats. This one is an accordion book, so mm -hmm. it pulls out like that musical instrument. Oh, yeah. But at every um, uh, fold in the book, there's a pamphlet sewn into it. So it has, it's both bound and folded book. Altogether. So what was your process for coming up with, or what is your process going into something like that where you have to have so much a sort of forethought? You're not just looking. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, I hesitate to say, and I don't want to oversimplify anything when it comes to art uh, because I'd love it and I can't do it. <laughs> this is as arty as I get is talking about art. So uh, when you're what I would consider, you know, a, a painter, let's mm -hmm. say you have a canvas and you kind of, here is my, outline here's you know where I'm going with everything mm -hmm. you might sketch it and do all that but you know you know you have a finite amount of room mm -hmm. I feel like when you're working with paper almost like in a in a book format and even more so than a writer you have infinite possibilities oh yeah when it comes to that how do you start how do you sit down and plan it out first or do you do you just let it kind of come to you I think with any work of art or any creative endeavor you have infinite uh, possibilities mm -hmm. which can be really terrifying and stifling. So the best thing to do is to have first an, an idea, you know, what do you want to say? Right. Right. And then how could I best say that? And then within that, you sort of continue to narrow down away from the infinite towards the possible, because that's where you'll actually get something done is within that more narrow defined realm. But that project, most book projects have to be really planned out, mm -hmm. super duper duper planned out uh, because there's so many different stages. Something has to come before another thing. You have to literally organize it in an outline, like here's step one, step two, step three. And then almost have a flat plan of all the pages. Absolutely. You have to have oh, okay. a, a dummy book, it's called, which is like a, a, a mock-up version. Yeah. It's a 3D sketch of your book. Oh, nice. Um, so there's a lot of planning, but. Um, because I have this, also have this training as a painter, I do like to improvise or I do like the process to inform the end product. So I don't have every single thing planned out. I don't have a vision in my head of this is exactly what this thing is going to look like. Mm -hmm. I get through a step. I contemplate that step. Um, 
I, I know where I'm going, but I might make adjustments along the way. Um, because, and that's sort of like, right, that's life. You can have a plan, but you have to make adjustments along the way. There's all kinds of unknowns that happen. Sure. Or your idea might change along the way as you develop the physical object you're working on, which is nice. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like to have the process inform my idea and vice versa. So having a plan is really great and really essential, but being flexible along the way is also really, really essential. Life advice with Rachel Simmons. Yes. I Deep like thoughts it. with Jack Handy. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, why don't we listen to some Radiohead, though? So oh, this yeah. is actually from the Benz. Um, I think for Radiohead, for me, besides OK Computer being this amazing album, mm -hmm. and, and some of their stuff, it, it's always interesting when you have that sort of uh, that moment with an artist and their album, and then yeah. they come out with the next one, and you're like, oh, I can't wait for it. Oh, yeah, it's different. This is, mm. Mm. am mm -hmm. I changed? Did they change? Who changed? Mm -hmm. And why did that happen? Mm -hmm. But uh, so this is actually from the Benz. But back then uh, they were doing a lot of B-sides. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like you could go on iTunes and just buy the B-sides. I think they are coming out with the 20th anniversary of OK Computer. Mm. And they're going to have a lot of the B-sides. Oh, cool. But those were on the CD singles. Mm -hmm. So this was one of them. Uh, this is Fake Plastic Trees, but the acoustic version. Oh, I like this one. Of Fake Plastic mm -hmm. Trees. And uh, you're listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. <laughs> Radiohead on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Fake Plastic Trees. You can find that the acoustic version on a few different albums, including a, uh, I think it was a best of, but if you go to iTunes, you can pick that up. Good morning. My name is Nick, and uh, we're here with just a few more minutes with Rachel Simmons. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And you've got to go teach a class after this. I do. That's nice. Yeah. Typesetting and the art of motorcycle maintenance is, I believe, the name of the yes, class. Yes. We've combined uh, a lot of things in one class. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love everything about that. Speaking of combining things, we're going to turn the tables on you right now <clears throat> with a pop culture and current event quiz. Okay. Oh, I wish we could flip a table over. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, there's two things I want to bring back. The flipping table, <laughs> like when you're super angry. Yeah. And the spit take. Yeah, right? I mean, we don't do that anymore. Like, I want to be, first of all, no one surprises me. But <laughs> no one's like, we can't be surprised anymore, right? Like everything no, in the universe. No, we have to universe, be cool, and we've already seen that. Well, I, I think even more so, like everything bizarro has happened already. Like, can <gasps> we be surprised? Can we be surprised? 2017 anymore? is turning out to be a year in which, surprise, <laughs> there are things happening that. So let's bring back the spit take so we can at least <laughs> add some humor to it. Yep. So we just okay. have to have like something in our mouth at all times. Yeah. And that didn't sound right. Uh, okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. The American Repertory Theater that's up in Boston has mm -hmm. just announced its 2017-2018 season. It includes a musical based on what 90s artist and album? Is it A, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, B, Nirvana's Nevermind, or C, Crash Test Dummies' God Shuffled His Feet? I'm thinking Nirvana. Uh, very close. It is actually Alanis Morissette. Oh, geez. So the world premiere of the musical Jagged Little Pill will be in May of next year. It was written by Alanis Morissette, Glenn Ballard, and Diablo, Diablo Cody. 
Really? Yeah. So it should be that. a little bit interesting. And obviously it's going to feature songs from Diablo Cody. So 90s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. And uh, no word on whether Dave Coulier will be uh, starring in it or even appear. <laughs> uh, Burger King managed to upset the royal family in Belgium with a marketing campaign uh, that promotes their first locations in the country. But mm. What was the offending campaign? Was it A, asking people to vote for their favorite monarch, Burger King, or King Philippe, the monarch of Belgium? <laughs> uh, B, promising to premiere the Jagged Little Pill musical Kids <laughs> Meals there. Because I think that's a good tie-in for toys and stuff. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Seems healthy. Were they just upset? The royal family was just upset because of just simply the act of opening a Burger King in Belgium seemed wrong. Mm, so many questions. I'm going to go with the last one. Okay. Yeah. So they're probably upset about just the fact that Burger King is opening. But there was a campaign that Burger King was running that pitted Burger King against King Philippe. And wow. uh, the royal family like a, had an like issue a WWE with that. SmackDown yep, sort of thing, exactly like that. I'd, I'd watch that. Uh, I think we all would. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Burger King against all the monarchs of the world, whichever ones are left. <laughs> Burger King, if you're listening, you're welcome for that marketing campaign. I Burger do. King needs to dress more like Beef Squatch from Bob's Burgers, and then you oh, know yeah. he'd really seem like a Burger King. Yeah, but he really just seems like you know some kind of Terry Gilliam King. He doesn't really seem like there's anything An burgery monarch. about him. Yeah. Just yeah. a king. Just a king. Yeah. I love that song. Um, just a king. No, it's a different song. <laughs> uh, NASA announced last week a mission that is unique on two fronts. Mm. First of all, because of where it's going. And second of all, because of the name. Uh, we've never gone there before. So where is this mission going? Is it A, the sun, B, the center of the earth, or C, Cybertron? What's Cybertron? That's from Transformers. Oh, God. So it's more than likely not that I one. don't think we should go to the sun. That sounds dangerous. Mm -hmm. We could go near it. It may be nearer. This will be an unmanned mission. Okay. All right. I'm going for that one. Oh, the sun. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. So it's uh, the Parker Solar Probe. They just renamed it last week, and it's going to visit our star, the sun, uh, and it's named in honor, so this is the first time they've done this, uh, it's named in honor of astrophysicist Eugene Parker, who is still alive. Typically, they only name things after uh, people who have passed away. Score for him. Yeah, Eugene, nice job. I think it should be called the Eugene Solar Probe, because every time I hear <laughs> the Parker Solar Probe, I think Parker Posey. That's, that's what we named our daughter after, Parker Posey. Really? Yeah. Okay, very good. Why not? Yeah. She's funny. But I would like to, because... You know, who doesn't love Parker Posey? Like, let's go. The Parker find, Posey probe. Let's go that find sounds her. Weird. Yeah, that, let's, <laughs> let's just find her. Let's just orbit around her and do studies, take measurements and such. Yes. Uh, okay. A lot of stuff uh, opened last week in Orlando. What are you most excited about? A, Volcano Bay. B, Pandora, the Avatar-themed land at uh, Disney, Wild Disney or the Disney. Wild Disney. What is it called? Really? Disney <laughs> Zoo? Disney Zoo. I'm very bad at theme park names. Oh, uh, or uh, see the area's first medical marijuana dispensary. I, I, oh, that's been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. uh, those are all three in contention. Three, maybe different audiences. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe the dispensary people are also excited about Avatar. No, I'm asking what you're most excited about. Oh, gosh. Um... 
I would go and see the Avatar. The Avatar thing first, yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, know, I know some people who worked on that. It's supposed to be really super, super cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Long time in the making. Disney, what is it called? Wild Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. Thank you. I like Wild Disney better. Though. Wild Disney is great. <laughs> okay, we're gonna rebrand it, Disney. You're welcome. Yes. We're coming up with a lot of good uh, mm-hmm. You are. Stuff. You're really nailing it this morning. Let me ask you this, because I did uh, sort of cut my teeth here in Central Florida in the design industry or mm-hmm. marketing. Mm-hmm. So, but I did everything but design. Oh, so okay. I wrote, I helped code websites, I account managed and stuff along. Uh, the, account management. Yeah, yeah. So basically I took the words from here and I transferred them over here mm-hmm. and then I took the words back. So mm-hmm. as you well know, account <laughs> managers do. Not saying anything wrong. I'm going to have a bunch of account managers. Angry account managers. Who wants to deal with them? Oh, my goodness. They never (laughs) get to get angry at anybody else. Um, But what I noticed was, and what I was seeing a little bit in doing some uh, research for this interview, is, uh, you know, it was very much a a boys club Mm. for a long time in terms of especially the graphic designers. Mm -hmm. So typically the creative directors fell on the the male side and, and such. Um, so has that been changing as well? Cause I have not kept up with what's going on in the industry. I know from a, just looking at some of the, uh, stuff from last night, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot more, um, uh, art, uh, shows that are predominantly featuring women, especially in the graphic design mm-hmm. field. There was one in Beirut, mm-hmm. uh, with four, uh, graphic designers from there, which had amazing stuff, all mm. of which I wanted to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that something that's changing a little bit in terms of graphic design? Because that's, I know it's not exactly studio art and I know it's not exactly art, but it has its, you know, it, it's Yeah, similar. I mean, um, I, I think it was two, two years ago, I was on a panel that AIGA organized. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was um, a panel of all women creatives. And um, Anna Bond from Rifle was on the panel. There was, um, I'm so bad with remembering names. There was an executive from Disney, mm-hmm. Yellow Shoe. That's not her name, but she worked okay, in this department not. called Yellow Shoe, I think. Um, there was a gra- a designer who was the former de- uh, production designer, I guess, for The Magic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mangle all of this, but I'm just going to keep going. And um, <laughs> so higher level people yes. in terms of some of the women more who places. were at the top of yeah. a lot of the creative agencies um, or companies in Orlando. I don't know why I was there. I'm just a, you know, mild manner art professor, but whatever. They just throw me in there just to mix it up. Um, and I thought in the and the crowd, the crowd was good. There were a lot of young men and women there. Um and the stories, particularly the women who had worked in a creative industry, um, either doing design work or, you know, in an industry like working for Disney where you may be pitching ideas a lot, um, they they talked a lot about being discriminated against and being like the one woman in the room and having this amazing idea, throwing it out, being met with silence, and then five minutes later having a man in the room go, well, what if we did this and hearing her same idea come through his male voice and then everyone listening to it. So I think women in the industry have put up with an awful lot if they're, if they've made it to the top of their companies. Um, and they understand 
what it's like to push against this uh, boundary, this obstacle, push mm-hmm. and push and push and push and push until they get through it. And then once they're through it, they've created a gap, right? And, and an opening and they can help pull other people through that. And so um, the floodgates, I think the floodgates are open. Oh, good. And so I, I, I think that, um, you know, but, but the difference between maybe a young woman professional and a male professional is still that culturally um, there are gender specific things that we learn to do and not to do, right? Like negotiate for pay or, um, you know, be really stern and opinionated, right? Women uh, can be those things, but we can also be much more collaborative, which makes us really good leaders because good leaders in my mind are collaborative people, mm-hmm. right? And they're listeners. So I think the more women uh, creatives who are in leadership roles, the more leadership itself changes and evolves into a, a different type of thing, right? A different model more for leadership. More opportunities, more everything for everyone. Yes. Um, so I think it's a really good thing to see more women creatives uh, at the top of their field. Um, and, you know, I don't know how long it will take to feel like there's real gender balance in Mm. that industry, but I do know that uh, it's a really different place now because of the women who struggled to be heard um, and to get to those positions. So they're, it's, it's all moving in the right direction, I think. Good. Uh, So sorry to, I don't want to end it necessarily on such a deep topic, but uh, I thought that was important to talk about because it was it was something that you know you don't consider from a you sort of have the um uh the the gender disparity in terms of the creative and you always see to a certain extent sort of the same creative it has to be in your face it has to be uh you know award-winning and and competitive Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to an extent and like you said it it should be a little more collaborative Okay, so let's take it back a step. We've got a couple of things to promote, rachelsimmons.net. Mm-hmm. You can go there and learn about Rachel and see some of the pieces that she's created over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, very few years because you're so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing the show today. I really appreciate it. Uh, you've been Rachel Simmons. I have been. You will continue to be. I hope so. Okay, and I've been Nick. Uh, I won't even say my last name since it's unpronounceable for the most part by humans because <laughs> I feel like sometimes I am an alien. Uh, so we'll hear a little bit of music from, uh, let's see, Invisible. This is Rose of Unbending Lines, and we'll have another show coming up potentially uh, here in a little bit on WPRK Winterbrook Floor. And thanks for having me. Oh, you're it's very welcome. Been fun. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you had fun. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel and the art that she creates, visit rachelsimmons.net. You can also catch her on Instagram at bearwithjetpack. If you like the show, visit toacertaindegree.com for more episodes, funny things posing as serious moments, and serious moments cleverly disguised as funny things. There are also recipe R- Recipes? Is, is that right? I'm, I'm really trying to sell the site. Really? Okay, moving on. Okay.